sing that last verse again. I was thinking about my godly grandmother who's gone on to heaven. She lived to be 97. If she were here this morning and you spoke to her, before that conversation was over, she would ask you how she could help you pray. And then she would write your prayer request or prayer requests down and pray for you and those things every single day. The last few years of her life, she was praying six, seven, eight hours a day. That was my grandma. But grandma was afraid of thunderstorms. They always made her nervous. She lived with us for a while, and 
southern Indiana, those storms can come through and be pretty severe. And she was standing at the window one day watching those dark clouds roll in and lightning flashing in the distance. And she could hear the rumble of thunder. And she was looking out the window, wringing her hands. She said, when the Lord spoke to me and said, Marge, there's, there's no use both of us watching this storm. And she said, okay, Lord, and walked away from the window and left the storm with the master of the sea. I want to sing that last verse one more time. I don't know what storm you're in this morning, but listen, you are sheltered in the arms of God all the way through. He walks with you. Hallelujah. Let's sing it one more time, Melody. Soon I shall hear the call from heaven's portals. Come home, my child. It's the last mile you must draw. And I in love with. And when I had the opportunity to come back, when we had the opportunity to come back, I, I shifted some things around in my schedule so I could be here. And I'm not sorry because the Lord's met with us this morning and I'm just so grateful to be back with you fine folks here today and appreciate the invitation to be with you all this morning. And thank God for a wonderful camp meeting. I haven't been here, but the reports I'm hearing are wonderful. I thank God for that. I'm coming in a little blind. I'm not in the, the spirit necessarily of the camp meeting, but I, I believe I'm in the spirit this morning. And so we'll just preach and do the best we know how. James chapter 4 and verse 14 asks a very important question, maybe the most important question. James chapter 4 and verse 14 James asked this question, for what is your life? Now, the Bible answers that in a number of different ways. In fact, James answers his own question in chapter 4 and verse 14 of his epistle, and we will, we will look at that verse. But I want you to consider the question, what is your life? 
We all want our lives to matter, don't we? Our lives, uh, we want them to have meaning and significance. And the good news is that the Bible tells us what our life is. And when we know what our life is, it can bring meaning and significance into our lives. And so let me just suggest to you today some ways the Bible gives to us answers to that question, what is your life? Number one, the Bible says your life is divine in its origin. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means you began with God. The Bible says, and our culture needs to hear this today, God created man, male and female, created he them. And then Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says something incredible. I don't know, you should, we could just camp out in that verse because it's so amazing. The Bible says God breathed into man. And man became a living soul. The very breath of God ignited the human spark. And we are here today because all of us began with God. Your life is divine in its origin. What does that mean? Well, it means mainly that you matter. That your life has meaning, that you are significant. Someone may have told you that you're a mistake. Someone may have told you that you don't belong. Someone may have tried to tell you that you belong on the margins over there somewhere, but the mighty creator God of this world would disagree. He made you. You belong to him. You're special to him. David said that God formed him in his mother's womb. So from our inception, in our mother's womb, we have mattered to God. We're significant. Our life has meaning. God not only created you and me, but of course he created everything that we can see. I don't know how you can look. I don't know how you have eyesight and, and can see the world around you and not believe in a creator. You have to be blind. And the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. In fact, if you don't believe and if you don't want to believe, there's no amount of good evidence that will convince you to the contrary. I, uh, I remember... Thinking about it now, I traveled with God's Bible School many, many years ago as a young man, and we had a quartet, and we went out west, all the way to uh, California and Washington and Oregon and most of the states in between. We spent all summer touring the western part of the United States, and one, uh, one Sunday night, we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and our public relations representative that was with us, he and his wife, decided that he wanted to see the Grand Canyon at sunrise. Now, I don't know why anyone would want to see anything at sunrise, especially as a 20-year-old, but he wanted us to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning so we could drive to the Grand Canyon so we could see it at sunrise. And so we crawled out of bed in the middle of the night and got in that 34-foot motor home that we were traveling in and 
before we left Phoenix, we stopped at a gas station to fill up with gas, and uh, we quartet boys saw a Burger King drive through that was 24 hours, and so while the motorhome was filling up, we walked through the drive through you know, and ordered our Whoppers and Cokes and came back and ate, and, and I had gone into the convenience store attached to the gas station, I forget exactly what for, but when I came back out to my horror, the motorhome was gone way before cell phones. And the entrance ramp to the interstate that takes you north up to the Grand Canyon, it's right there. I mean, you go out of the gas station parking lot and turn right. I mean, it, and I knew what happened. I knew it. They thought that Sankey was in the bathroom in the motorhome. <laughs> and they head up the road and everyone's going to go to sleep, right? Hopefully not the driver, but everyone else is. And they're going to get to the Grand Canyon and say, where's Sankey? I didn't know what to do. I was helpless. I was hopeless. I turned around to go back in the convenience store and I saw the most beautiful sight in the world, the nose of that motorhome peeking out from behind the gas station. Yeah. And then they saw that I saw them and so they wheeled around and let down the steps and opened the door and they were laughing at my expense. And in the most Christ-like way possible, I called them a bunch of idiots. And we made our way up to the Grand Canyon. And get this, when we got there, the sun was already up and had been up for a while. So we wouldn't have had to get out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. I've been to the Grand Canyon several times since then, but that was my first visit. As I stood on the rim of that giant canyon and I surveyed what I could see of it only to find that this massive hole was just a small part of the canyon, 277 miles of canyon rim. And I saw all of the, the, the rock sediment, the different colors and the cliffs, how picturesque and beautiful and awe-inspiring it is. And, and then I saw a little tiny green trickle that was way down at the bottom of the canyon and someone said, that's the mighty Colorado River, 300 feet wide. And I was, I, was, I was so thrilled to be able to view such a spectacle of creation. You don't have to go to the Grand Canyon. You can just walk outside your door and see some of the most beautiful things that God has created. Look into the night sky. The psalmist did that. And he said, when I look into the sky, the moon and the stars that you have created, what is man that you're mindful of him? How can you even care about us when we see how great you are? How do you even care about man? And yet I'm here to tell you today that God does care about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And His hands are reaching out to you today and He wants a relationship with you. How big is God, the songwriter said. How big and wide His vast domain. To try to tell these lips could only start. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. What is your life? Your life is divine in its origin. You began with God. But James tells us that your life is not only divine in its origin, but it is also short in its duration. James chapter 4 and verse 14, for what is your life? Listen to the answer. It is a vapor 
that is here for a little while and then vanishes away. We've all been outside on a cold day. We've all seen our breath as we exhale, but as quickly as it appears, right, it disappears. James says that's just like our life. James is saying to an eternal God, our time on earth is brief. As a child, a year seemed like an eternity. You know, we had Christmas, and oh, we couldn't wait for next Christmas, and it was a whole year. And now it's like, you mean it's almost time for Christmas again? <laughs> time flies. I've waited all my life. I remember being in London a few years ago for the uh, Summer Olympics. In case you're wondering, I wasn't there for the strongman competition. I know some of you probably thought that, but I was there with my friend Joe Taylor who had a God-sized vision. He printed 500,000 books. He didn't have the money for it. He just knew God wanted him to do it. And we handed those books all over London and handed them to people from over 170 countries of the world. Many of those countries wouldn't let us in to do that. If we went into their country and handed those things out, the very best thing they would do to us is kick us out. That's what we'd want them to do. But they all came to London for the Olympics and we handed out hundreds of thousands of books. A London Bobby, a police officer, came to one of our team members and said, let me see this book that all of London is talking about. What a, what a powerful ministry it was. But uh, I was out one day leading my team. Joe had asked me to lead a team, and we were standing outside of an Olympic event. We weren't going into any of them, but standing right outside. So as people came in and out, we handed out these books that had the gospel. And um, I was standing on a street corner and, and handing out these books, and I noticed two or three Olympic officials on the other side of the street conferring among themselves, looking over at me and then talking to them. And I knew that they were Olympic officials because they had neon green vests and on the back it said Olympic officials. So I was, I was pretty sure that's who they were. Finally, they came over to me and said, could we see that book? And I handed a book to one of the guys and while he's flipping through it, another guy said, hey, you're not allowed to hand out this material on Olympic property. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize there was Olympic property, and I didn't realize I was on it, and so tell me where Olympic property ends, and I'll be happy to get off. And they said, oh, well, we can't tell you where it ends. So I got it. I called Joe and said, hey, they're kicking me out of here, where do you want me to go? And he said, go down to Earl's Court, just get on the tube and go down to Earl's Court and finish handing out your books there. So we went down into the tube, and when we came up, we came up into an Olympic event, and there were thousands of people already there, lined up on either side of the street. I mean, rows deep, waiting for the bicyclists from all of the countries of the world to come by, and each one cheering for their... And I don't know how long they'd been there. We got there maybe, I don't know, 9 o'clock, I think, in the morning is when we got there. And who knows how long they'd been standing out there, we handed out our books in like 20 minutes. There were so many people, we were just handing them out. And we were done. And I told my team, since we're already here, let's just wait. And so we did. We waited for an hour. Nothing. Every now and then a car would come by with some music playing and a horn honking. And everyone would, you know, two hours, hot sun, 
Three hours we just waited and waited and waited and waited. And then all of a sudden, here they come. And after waiting all of those hours, here's what we saw. <laughs> that, that was it. I mean, we had a second. I didn't even see the guy riding the American, you know, the bike. I couldn't even see anybody. They were just blurs as they went by. And I was trying to clap, but I had no idea who anyone was. And I think about that from time to time. And I think to myself, isn't that like life? We wait. We're waiting our entire life for something else to happen. And we wake up one day and realize our life has passed us by. <laughs> I remember every evangelist that my dad had at his church in southern Indiana, every single one of them would preach at least one message on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Okay? And they would say things like, Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. You have to be ready. And almost all of them would say something like this. I remember it over and over and over again. They would say, who knows, Jesus Christ might even come back before I finish this message. So I grew up convinced that I, I wouldn't be here very long because Jesus is going to come back at any moment. Right? I still believe that, by the way. I believe he could come back any time. But uh, I remember thinking, I'll never get to 16 and that's when I, that's the magic age to get your driver's license and, you know, and I'll never drive. And man, I wanted to drive. I wanted that power to drive myself around, you know, and I thought, well, there's no way Jesus will come back before I ever turn 16. But guess what? 16 came and went a long time ago. And then I waited to get married and I was for sure the Lord was going to come back before I got married. And man, I wanted to find a pretty girl and marry her. And I did found this beautiful girl, the most beautiful woman in the world, and I told her that, and, and we were a week away from getting married. It was Sunday night, we were getting married on Saturday, so like six days away, and we were at her pastor, her church, and her pastor preached that night on, on guess what? <laughs> and he said in that message, okay, we're sitting there listening, he said, who knows, this may be the week that Jesus comes back. I leaned over to Melody and whispered in her ear, our luck, he will. <laughs> I know that's not a deeply spiritual sentiment. I know I'm wanting, I want Jesus to come back, but man, I wanted him to wait until I got married. We've been married 31 years. Don't tell anyone, but we finally got enough money to take a 25-year anniversary trip. Six years late. This little place called Hawaii out in the Pacific. It was so beautiful. But that's 31 years. And I know for some of you have been married a lot longer than that. That's nothing. I know, I know. But that's 31 years. And then, you know, our kids came along. And then we waited for grandkids. It seemed like forever. It took them a year and a half. And I'm 53. And I know that that's not old. But I've got more years behind me than I do in front of me. And I look back over 53 years and ask myself, where has it gone? And it may not seem that way to some of you, especially teenagers here today. It may not seem like your life is short. You have your whole life ahead of you. But the Bible says your life is a vapor. 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And you know what that means? That means what you do for God, you must do now. There is no other time to do it. Your life is short. The Bible also teaches us not only is your life divine in its origin and short in its duration, but it's also frail in its nature. The psalmist said, teach me to know how frail my life is. Psalm 39. Teach me to know my life, how frail it is. What did he mean by that? Well, you know, the reason why the insurance industry is a billion dollar industry is because life is frail. It's unsure. It's unpredictable. So we have auto insurance and we have health insurance and we have life insurance because we don't know when we might get into a car crash. We, we don't know when we might fall desperately ill. We don't know when we might die. The hard, cold truth of life is that little babies and young people pass away unexpectedly. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised our next breath. And the Bible teaches that life is frail. We don't know when we might receive the call. I remember being in McAllen, Texas, driving down a busy street in McAllen, Texas at dusk. It was just starting to get dark. And I noticed, before I noticed anything else, I noticed the two lanes coming this way, the headlights, tons of traffic, but it was all stopped. And we were still, we were the first in the line of cars that were behind us. And then I saw it, a man's body lying in the middle of the road. And so I quickly pulled over. And of course, everyone was stopped now. He was right in the middle of the road. There was really nothing else to do. I pulled over and I ran to him and Melody ran to the girl who was screaming on the side of the road, just out of control. Her car, she had hit this guy. Her car, she had evidently exited the car before she put it in. She never put it in park. And it rolled and it kind of came to rest on a telephone pole on a corner about a half a block up the way. And she was back where the man was on the side of the road screaming. Melody went to her to try to minister to her. I went to that man, and as I knelt down by his body, I heard him breathing. His face is smashed up against the asphalt. Witnesses say when she hit him, he went end over end in the air and landed like that. And, but I could hear that he was alive, and I know enough. I come from a medical family. I know you're not supposed to move those people. You know you need to be really careful. So I just put my hand on his shoulder, and there, now there was a semicircle around him. And I said, hey, does anyone know who this is? And a big, tall, black guy was standing there, and he said, yeah, that's Mike. Found out Mike was a drunk, drunken, alcoholic, homeless man. Probably just wandered out into the street, not knowing even where he was. Very sad. And I said, I'm going to pray for Mike. And so interesting to me as a preacher and as a Christian, and you've seen this too, when bad things happen to people who don't know God, they're all for praying then. Everybody's... I remember when the, when the terrorists attacked our, our country and the Twin Towers came down, all of the liberal pagan media, all of them were even talking about God and prayer. You let the pressure off and all that goes away. 
But oh, they wanted me to pray. And so I prayed for Mike. I prayed that God would spare his life, prayed that God would save his soul. And then the ambulance came and took him away. And I looked for days on the internet, in newspapers, for any news about Mike. And I never found out what happened to him. And maybe that's best because it teaches me again, afresh and anew, right up close and personal, that our life is frail. We just don't know what tomorrow brings. And it pays to get your business right with God now. I know young people who say, I know Jesus is the answer. I know I want to be saved. I know I don't want to go to hell. But I want to live my life and I want to do some things that I want to do first. So I'm going to go out and do those things. I'm going to partake in those pleasures. I'm going to climb the ladder. I want to do those things. But then I'll come back and I'll give my heart to the Lord. The only problem is, and statistically you can prove this, they don't. Because they don't understand the deceptive nature of sin. Sin, once you give yourself to sin, it begins to tell you, you know what, those people back at that church you grew up in, they're a little off. I don't think they're probably, they're crazy. They're, you know, and God isn't the only way. And I'm a pretty good guy and I'm better than she is and I'm better than he is. What's happening? Sin is deceiving. You don't even realize it. Sin is, sin is deadening. Young person, listen to me this morning. If you're thinking that, listen to me. Sin deadens spiritual desire. So you have a little flicker to serve Jesus right now. Oh, I want to serve Jesus, but I want to do my own thing first. Listen, when you give yourself to sin, sin will kill that desire. And you'll wake up one morning a year from now, maybe a week from now, and you'll have no desire to come back to Jesus. Because that's what sin does. And sin not only deceives and deadens, but it debilitates. We begin by choosing our sin, right? That looks pleasurable. I'm going to take part in that. But it's not too long until one day we wake up and we don't want to do that anymore, but we can't help it. It has us, has us in its grip. And we're in the chains and bondage of addiction and sin. Sin deadens and deceives and debilitates. Life is frail in its nature. You're not promised tomorrow. My heart is on some young people. I don't know anybody, but just this morning, thinking about young people, a youth camp years ago that I've been there before. Youth camp, you know, summer youth camp, fun, games, laughter. Four young people struck by lightning, just crazy. They never expected that, to go to youth camp and have that happen to them. This is, listen to me this morning. Please listen to my heart. This is not any kind of spiritual manipulation or anything. I didn't want to preach this this morning. I'm thumbing through every sermon I have this morning trying to let, you know, pray that God will help me. Please let me preach something else. This is it. This is it. Life is frail in its nature. We're not promised tomorrow. So get your business right with God right now. Today is the day the Bible says now is the time. Your life is not only divine in its origin and short in its duration and frail in its nature, but it's final in its ending. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. World religions today, especially Hinduism, but there are others, teach that, you know, you die, but then you come back. Listen, you do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You don't get to go around again. And when you die... That's it. And you face God in judgment. It's final in its ending. 150,000 people will die today. 
all over the world. It's a fact. We're not going to, right? Not us. Someone else. And we only think about death seemingly when someone really important or famous passes away. Kobe Bryant, what is it, a couple years ago in January? Killed in a helicopter crash. We think about that. But that's, that's you know, that's Southern California. That's... But the Bible tells us we all have an appointment. And our life is final in its ending. And then our life is eternal in its destiny. You will live somewhere forever. There was a time when you did not exist. There will never be a time when you cease to exist. You will live somewhere forever. The Bible is clear. For those who trust Christ, they have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And for those who ultimately reject Jesus Christ, they are served the sentence of God's righteous wrath in hell for eternity. That's what the Bible says. But we will live somewhere forever. As a little kid, I tried to, I tried to understand eternity. And probably all of us have, right? And I, I just, my mind broke down. I couldn't, I could not. I, and here's, I don't know if you've ever, maybe it's just me, but even heaven for eternity. As a kid, pardon my non-preacherly language, it would freak me out. Even heaven, like I, I can't understand eternity. Scholars tell us that eternity, when they try to describe eternity so that we can understand, is like a thousand mile high, wide, deep granite rock. And every 100 years, a sparrow lands atop that rock and with his fragile beak pecks away until he gets a little grain of that rock and flies away. And then another 100 years, he comes back on that same rock and pecks away and gets another tiny little pebble and flies away. Another 100 years until finally when that rock has been consumed, they say the first day of eternity will have just begun. That's a thought. John Newton says it in a much more positive way. When we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity. I came here this morning to remind you of what your life is. Your life is divine in its origin. You began with God. You matter. God loves you. He has a plan for you. Jesus is Lord and He opens his arms to you to come and receive him and bow to him. But your life is short in its duration and frail in its nature and final in its ending and eternal in its destiny. That is your life. One more good news. Your life is secure in the promises of God. Your life is secure in the promises. Jesus told his disciples, behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound very inviting, does it? And yet the same shepherd that said, I send you out as sheep among wolves is the same shepherd that said, and I will go with you to the end of the age. Jesus promises you, believer, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His promise. Paul says in one of the Corinthian letters that there is no trial or temptation that has befallen you, but such as is common to man. And with every single trial and temptation, the Lord will make a way of escape so you might be able to bear it. The promises of God are endless. And our lives are secure in the promises of God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are promises for you too. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm just dumb enough to believe the Bible when it says all, it means all. That means you. Whosoever will may come to Jesus. That's good news this morning. Paul said in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. While he was on the cross, Jesus said seven things, and one of them was, Father, forgive them. Who was he? For whom was he asking forgiveness? The folks that nailed him to the cross. You say, well, those terrible Roman soldiers and those awful Jewish leaders, shame on them. Yes, but it was my sin and your sin that nailed them to that cross. And Jesus looked down through the centuries, through the millennia of time, and he saw you and he saw me and he saw our rebellion and our dark heart. And he said, Father, forgive them. These are the promises of God. John 3, 16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? We all want to do something. Paul said, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. These are promises, and your life is secure in the promises of God. Let's stand together this morning. Melody, would you come to the piano? Someone asked if we might sing this. And so I'll sing this song in closing. You can consider it an invitation if you would like. Last service of camp meeting. If you still have unfinished business with God, as far as I'm concerned, this altar is open. I'd love to pray with you before we leave. Camp meeting's the time we set aside for things just like this. So whether you're young or old, whether you've just started or you're towards the end, whether you're a saint or a sinner, you feel God pulling on your heart and compelling you, then why don't you just step out and come to the front and let's pray together as I sing this song. This the chorus. I want my life to count for Jesus. For earthly things will so quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. I want my life to count 
for Jesus, for earthly things will quickly fade. There's no need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. What an absolutely beautiful service. And the thought came to me as I was approaching the pulpit, it would be a fantastic testimony to be able to say, I got saved on the last day of the campaign. And I know that it takes a lot of courage to step out in the midst of an audience and to be the first one to walk down an aisle. And I went back in my mind when I left Fort Bliss, Texas, a sinner, and then I came home for a leave, and then I went to Korea for the second half of my term. But there was a revival in Schenectady, New York, and I was sitting in the last row. And Jack Wurtzen gave an invitation. And I can't tell you how hard it was to step out. And it was Presbyterian Church and it was long. But something touched my heart. And all the audience was blacked out. And I took that walk. And the closer I got to the altar, the lighter my load became. I think I got saved en route to the altar. And the same thing can happen to you. As Brother Mark sings, or if you need to make some adjustments, draw a little closer to God. Don't ever be ashamed in the midst of God's people. Everyone that knows God in this audience is pulling, is cheering, and is praying for everybody in this audience that needs to get something right with God. Amen. And it would be a blessing for them to see someone, anybody, young or old, to come down to this altar. You'll be so glad it happened. Mark's going to sing another verse. to count for Jesus for earthly things will quickly fade 
No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. This chorus is for you. I want my life to count for Jesus. Sing it. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add. No need to add to worldly riches. To worldly riches. I only seek. I only seek eternal. That sounds good. Sing it one more time. I want my life to count. I want my life to count for Jesus. For earthly things? For earthly things will quickly fade. Will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. No need to add to worldly. I only seek eternal gain. I only seek eternal gain. Praise the Lord. Can't you, can't you just feel the pull? can feel the Holy Spirit wooing and struggling and trying to pull a soul to come down to this altar and give their heart to God. And we're going to sing one more verse. I'll never forget that moment. And I look back over the years, and I wasn't altogether sure what moved me, but I thank God a hundred times, and I understand what it was now. It was God. God was calling me. What a privilege, what a moment, what a monumental experience to have the Holy Spirit of God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's just looking for that one heart that's tender. That one soul, young or old or in between. Well, Brother Martin, this brother can sing like an angel. So why don't you just give it some serious thought. And we're going to close the service. God bless you. I want my life to count for Jesus. That's right, sing it. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to ask. I only see eternal gain. You're right on the edge. 
One more verse. I to count for Jesus for earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only It's been a great week, and how indebted we are to God for what he's done for us this week, and how we have been so honored to be in his presence. And I want to thank each and every one of you for your attendance, for in any way that you contributed to the camp meeting for your prayers, it means a whole lot. It's been a great week. And when we leave, let's live in such a way that the world will see we've been with Jesus. Amen? Brother Brad, would you lift your voice and dismiss us? And Brother Sankey and his wife, they're going to be leaving. She's got a sick father, and they've got other things that they've got to tend to. But I'm going to ask them if they'll just go to the back of the church and stand, and you can say goodbye. Don't hold them up too long. Just blow a kiss and keep moving. You're all dismissed in the name of the Lord.